0: Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson bringing to you this week news from Myanmar, Brazil, the United States, and a see you in hell from fascist Italy. I also want to take some time to note that this is actually the three-year anniversary of this podcast. It's completely terrifying, uh, but it's pretty nice, pretty rewarding. If you're a listener to this podcast, then thank you. Uh, It's it's really nice to know that there are people out there uh, who care about fascism and defeating it as much as I do. Starting out in Myanmar, the military government of that country, which has been in power for two years after they took power in a coup uh, in February 2021, has delayed elections again. This time they're saying that the elections are going to be held in six months. But this is just sort of like how military governments operate, like They delay elections, they say, oh, you're not ready, blah, 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 blah. Essentially, they're trying to stay in power for as long as they possibly can. Moving on to Brazil, the ousted president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, who is currently holed up in Florida in the United States, is now saying that he wants to stay in the United States for as long as possible. He is even looking for work. Specifically, he's potentially trying to work as a talking head, you know, think tanky kind of person pretty specifically in Florida possibly with congressperson Matt Gates who is a you know right-wing figure in the maga vein in the united states he's even applying for a new visa which might allow him to stay in the united states for longer because technically his visa has expired he's not supposed to be in the united states anymore he wants to stay here because he doesn't want to go to jail The ongoing investigations in Brazil of the people who were involved in their attempted coup last month on January the 8th uh, are continuing. Specifically, this is being spurred on now by the Supreme Tribunal, which is Brazil's equivalent of a Supreme Court. This was announced by them on the first day after they reopened their building after it was trashed by this January 8th attempted coup slash building invasion that happened in that country. Lula, the president of Brazil, is continuing to sack people who were appointed by Jair Bolsonaro, his predecessor and right-wing figure, specifically because he accuses slash is worried about them having been involved in some of Bolsonaro's more illegal activities and in his right-wing politicking. It's looking increasingly like Lula is actually going to have to run up against the power of the military in Brazil because of the involvement that some of them had in planning this coup, while it remains the case that the top top brass of the Brazilian military seems to have not been a fan of Bolsonaro. Moving on to the United States, we have more information on a Planned Parenthood arsonist who attacked a Planned Parenthood building in Peoria, Illinois, which is in the western part of that state. This attack was carried out early in January. The attacker has now said why he attacked this Planned Parenthood. He said that it's because he believed that it would delay his ex-partner from getting an abortion and thought that it was worth it for that reason. This is just to highlight the ongoing violence and danger to people who work at Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers, and also to anybody who is seeking their services. In California, the California Bar Association, which is the organization that credentials lawyers, uh, is moving for disciplinary charges against Eastman, a person who is a lawyer for Donald Trump when Donald Trump was the president. Eastman was a major player in the attempt to legally change the election results in the state of Georgia. He also made appeals to the Supreme Court regarding Donald Trump's election and claims of election fraud. And he was also a major player in the plan for the legal coup, you know, the quote unquote legal coup, which really hinged on the involvement of Mike Pence. Remember, this was an attempt to get Pence to use his power as the president of the Senate. The vice president has these powers, you know, to use these powers as the president of the Senate to prevent Congress from ratifying the election results of the Electoral College. Like this this is what the January 6th attempted coup on uh, 2021 was about, right? So Eastman is a big player in this. Currently, he has avoided like super, super major consequences for this. But it's possible that this is the beginning of a deluge, or at the very least, you know, he might lose his license to practice law, which, yeah, you know, if you've planned not one but two coups at this point, you know, trying to change election results in Georgia and also trying to get the vice president to prevent the ratification of election results, yeah, you you probably shouldn't be allowed to practice law anymore. In continued January 6th election information, A perpetrator of the January 6th invasion of the United States House of Representatives and Senate building has now gotten six years in prison. This is one of the ones who assaulted an officer. His name is Julian Cater. He's from New Jersey. And he assaulted this officer with pepper spray and bear spray. He and a co defendant arrived at the Capitol building, prepared essentially to do battle with the police, and they brought these weapons in order to do that, you know, their plan was to invade the Capitol building in order to keep Donald Trump, the president of the United States, because that's what they believed the president of the United States was. Continuing on about neo-Nazi information in the United States, we have a major conviction for an Alaskan neo-Nazi and the leader of a prison gang in Alaska. This guy is legally named the Filthy Führer. That's his legal name, Filthy Führer. Originally, his name was Timothy Lobdell, uh, but he had it legally changed. He is the leader of a gang known as 1488, which is a typical neo-Nazi slogan, is a reference to the so-called 14 words, a neo-Nazi phrase and oath that's about, you know, Protecting white children and white future and crap like that, and also the numbers 88 refer to uh, Heil Hitler, H being the eighth letter in the alphabet. Right, so that's that's the that's the idea there. If you see 1488 printed or graffitied or whatever anywhere, uh, that means that neo Nazis were there. Right, it's a it's a neo Nazi calling card. So this guy is the leader of this neo Nazi prison drug gang that was operative in Alaska, and he and a bunch of his other group have been convicted under a Rigo case for organized crime. Specifically, they were involved in racketeering, kidnapping, and murder, all involving their maintenance of a drug empire outside of the prison system. This is the second time in as many months, correct me if I'm wrong, that a major neo-Nazi prison gang network has gotten a big conviction. Hopefully, more to come. Moving on to the educational sphere of the United States, there's been a major expose of a neo-Nazi homeschool network. This has been done by Vice Media. Check those articles out. Uh, They're extremely interesting. I'm going to give you a summary and sort of a rundown of the story here, but check them out. It's really good reporting and a really good primer on how fascist organizing and fascist development works. Uh, vice what has exposed this so-called dissident homeschool that's what they call themselves the quote unquote dissident homeschool a network that's intentionally developed as a neo-Nazi framework for the education of children the organizers of this homeschool network said that they organized it and developed a lot of this material because essentially they said that they couldn't get enough neo-Nazi material with which to educate their children right they they found themselves lacking and they thought that they needed to have a network of people who were you know, interested in this information, interested in these homeschooling materials. They are extremely open about it in their media and on their websites. Vice sort of cracked this case just by like joining their servers basically, which you could just do just by clicking a button basically. However, further information about this network was uh, exposed by a collective of information collectors called the Anonymous Comrades Collective, which is a left-wing anarchist research network. Uh, this network identified the founders of the Dissident Homeschool Network as Katja and Logan Lawrence of Ohio. Katya, whose original name is in Dutch, uh, is from the Netherlands, and she and Logan met at an Oktoberfest when they were younger. They moved to Ohio and started a, you know, quote unquote, traditionalist lifestyle with Katya staying home and educating the kids. But she wanted there to be pro-Nazi materials to educate her children, not just in history and social studies, but in math and in every other subject mandated for the education of children by the state of Ohio. This group was very big, and it continues to be very big. Like, it still exists, right? This is a very large network of homeschooling people. They are now under investigation by the government of Ohio. But the problem is that there's, there's not a law against teaching your kid to be a Nazi, right, under the First Amendment that is essentially legal. And Katya and Logan could conceivably argue that their Nazism is related to a religious practice or a religious conviction which would mean that they would be protected by the Constitution of the United States in indoctrinating their children into Nazism, and anybody else in the homeschool network would be capable of doing so. Essentially, what, as far as I can tell, the Ohio government is investigating them on is just like, do they meet the criteria for being a homeschool network? And let me tell you, the criteria for homeschooling your children is abysmally low. So it's entirely possible that they're actually knocking it out of the park in terms of how the Ohio government measures this stuff. It's going to remain to be seen about whether or not these people can be stopped from doing this. And even if they are, it is a major indicator that there's a large group of people in the United States in like, you know, fairly innocuous places like Ohio, who are very, very interested in raising, you know, the new generation of Nazis. Finally in the state of Arizona the Secretary of State for Arizona says Kari Lake a GOP candidate for the governorship of Arizona in 2022 has probably broken the law by tweeting out voter signatures this has almost certainly violated some very serious you know electoral privacy laws she has been flirting with Violating these kinds of electoral privacy laws and violating electoral laws in general by claiming that the election was stolen from her. However, this might actually do the trick about actually getting some sort of prosecution regarding her candidacy and her denial of her failure in the 2022 election. Finally, going to close out this week, like I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right wing figures in history. This week I'm talking about Michele Bianchi, a left fascist from the Italian fascist period. Left is in major quote unquotes here. Bianchi was born in Calabria in southern Italy in 1882. He then moved up north to study at the University of Rome. He was a law student and pursued an early career in journalism in the early 1900s. He quickly became radicalized by the left wing actually. He was an early member of the Italian Socialist Party and even worked on the party newspaper Avanti, which was also the like one of the major organizing and political development places for Antonio Gramsci, one of the most famous and influential Marxist theorists of the 20th, 20th century. Bianchi was a syndicalist, which meant that he was dedicated to a worker-oriented and led uh, worker rank and file union takeover of workplaces, and then ultimately the government. This meant that he was skeptical of certain types of, like, party organization and was really, really much more in favor of unions and just, like, you know, rank-and-file everyday people organizing. His dissident position within the Italian Socialist Party meant that he rotated around different branches of the Italian left in the early 1900s because of these differing views, primarily because of his pacifism. Eventually, he landed in Milan prior to the First World War. After the outbreak of the First World War, he became an ardent nationalist, the same sort of political transformation that Benito Mussolini underwent, and he eventually volunteered for the army and then eventually the artillery. After World War I, he joined up with Mussolini's first fascist group, which was comprised mainly of, you know, radical veterans like himself. And eventually was a major early leader of the actual Italian fascist party. As a member of the fascist party, he was a representative of its quote-unquote left faction, the quote-unquote syndicalist faction of them. However, he was still opposed to socialism and communism, you know, the very perspectives that he had previously embodied because, you know, he was a fascist. So he thought that masses of workers should be the ones to lead the country, but also that they needed to fight and kill leftist workers' movements, like the socialists and the communists. He was a major part of the March on Rome, which was Mussolini's coup to take over the Italian government. He was part of the early fascist government and very influential in getting Mussolini the premiership, which cemented Mussolini's power. But he was eventually ousted by the sort of right and conservative wing faction of the Italian party after their ultimate seizure of power in 1923. He worked his way back up to the tippy top of the administration of the Italian fascist government. You know, he had various ministerships under secretary of this, and then finally secretary of that. Uh, although he then died relatively young and quite suddenly of tuberculosis on the 3rd of February, 1930, which ended his career, fortunately, early. So Michele Bianchi, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 minutes of fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics, uh, and thanking you for listening to this podcast for three years. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. And if you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com, and at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right on Twitter and Fascism15 on Twitter. Thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week.